listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Y'all sounded great today. Look good. Love to worship with you. Uh, Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We are nearing the end of our study of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul written to the church at Corinth. We've come to the second half of chapter 14 now. Paul has been dealing with a series of problems, divisions that were erupting in the Corinthian church, primarily in the context uh, here, recently anyway, in the last few chapters, uh, in the context of public worship. Uh, He's wrapping up a discussion of all uh, that which he began, really all the way back in chapter 11, where he dealt with the breakdown of biblical role relationships between men and women. He's going to add to that teaching uh, in this particular passage this morning, and he uh, remember, he dealt with the divisions at, uh, in various places and in various ways. This was a very divided, messed up church. I hope we've made that clear. And so Paul is addressing a lot of things. Remember also that this really is a, a letter of response to some matters that they had brought to his attention. Um, and so it wasn't like he's just pulling subjects out of the air. Or he, you know, I saw this on the news, and so I thought I should address it with you folks. He's actually answering some of their questions as it relates to some of these matters. And so they were, they, they were messed up even as it related to social status and, and how that uh, messed up uh, the observance of the Lord's Supper, the privileged, even uh, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper while others were being left out and had nothing at all. Then in chapter 12, he turns to the problem of divisions when it came to the way spiritual gifts were being used at Corinth. And he, I remember, used the metaphor of the body with many members to illustrate and explain why we are to value and to cherish our unity. We are to be one body. And at the same time, we celebrate our diversity with differing gifts. We are many members and yet one body. And I'm so thankful that we are not all the same. I'm grateful that there are a good number of people in our church family uh, that are gifted differently and in ways that I am not. Uh, You have passions that uh, maybe I don't. And so I I love the way, and over the years of pastoral ministry, one of the things that thrills me is to see how God puts a church family together. Uh, And we're seeing that in some profound ways here at FBCVA, especially in the last year or two. And then in chapter 13, he taught us that the operating system which must be installed running in our lives is Christ-like sacrificial love without which... Spiritual gifts will always be either abused or, in the worst cases, outright dangerous. We need Christian love to govern the use of spiritual gifts. And uh, I remind you that Dr. Esri, when he preached a few weeks ago, he talked about the importance of regardless of what the spiritual gift may be, it should be utilized in a way that doesn't draw attention to us, uh, but points others to Jesus, exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, and is for the common good. And so the Apostle Paul kind of continues uh, in that vein even here. Now last week we saw in the first half of chapter 14, Paul returning uh, to the subject primarily of spiritual gifts, uh, and he discussed some issues there and became really much more specific 
Uh, he kind of became more focused, uh, dealing with the, primarily the gifts of tongues and prophecy and correcting some misunderstandings that were common at, at Corinth and reminding us that if the church is to be built up, it's to be edified, then ministry must be intelligible. Uh, and so we looked at the intelligibility principle last week. It must be the communication of the truth of God, the word of God, in a manner uh, that can be understood. Now this morning... We're going to see that he's sort of tying up the loose ends with some of these issues related to public worship. Now, remember that context. This is primarily he's talking about the public gathering of God's people that he's really, again, started addressing back in chapter 11. And so he's been talking about these issues, these matters, for quite some time. And again, he gives us some very important principles uh, about how public worship is to be governed. Uh, we looked at the, the first principle last week. Uh, it, has, uh, it has been the, the burden, really, of the of first half of chapter 14, and that is, again, that principle of edification. You continue to see that kind of language through chapter 14, this concept of building up, of edifying. Uh, and then finally, uh, well, he addresses then here this morning the order principle and then uh, the authority principle. So our worship life, our Christian lives as individuals are to be governed and in submission to the authority of Christ speaking through his word. And so the edification principle, that's building one another up. That's the order principle. Things are to be done decently and in order, as Paul says here. And then the authority principle, things are to be done in obedience to the word of God. And so uh, hopefully kind of catching you up to speed here, maybe you've missed a week or two and uh, it seems like uh, many of us are kind of returning from vacation season, all that. We're kind of uh, getting back into a routine with school starting and some of those things. And so just know that um, Jace is going to take us into chapter 15 next week, which is commonly known as the resurrection chapter. Uh, we're going to wrap things up here over the next three or four weeks, and then we're going to start a new series uh, related to the home and family and uh, our relationships there. And so you can uh, look forward to that. Uh, Lord willing. Well, let's pick it up in verse number 26 here of chapter 14 as we look together really at this last half of the 14th chapter. And you'll notice in, in most of your Bibles, there's probably a heading that says something like orderly worship. And so again, we're talking about uh, a public gathering uh, of God's people, though the context certainly would have been a bit different in that day than it is today. And so Paul says this, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things, in this case, the word all there does in fact mean all, all things be done for building up. There's that concept of edification. That's the edification principle that we're going to look at this morning. Verse 27, he says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each, uh, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. There is, again, what we looked at last week, that intelligibility principle. How can it edify if it can't be understood? Okay, let, uh, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, 
As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And so, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. In my senior year of high school, uh, I started a cleaning business. My goal was to... uh, hopefully uh, make enough money to pay for my first year of college before I started my first year of college, and then hopefully I would stay a, a year ahead. Uh, that was the plan anyway, and for the most part, uh, the Lord was gracious and allowed me to do that. Um, I really didn't have any clue what I was doing. I, I, I knew basically how to clean. Uh, what I didn't really fully understand uh, and where I really lacked the knowledge was in launching and maintaining a business. And uh, again, God was very gracious and um, was very kind in my stupidity to uh, allow me to, to do what I needed to do. But uh, one of the first contracts that I got, and this is one of the things that I didn't foresee coming, uh, one of my first big contracts was a daycare center. That's one thing to clean at, at your home or someone else's home, but cleaning a daycare center takes things to a whole nother level, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, Like I I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and so I would literally show up there every evening getting close to time for parents to come pick up their kids and all those things, and I would clean the entire uh, daycare facility and discovered that Wow, it was just, it was mind boggling to me. Um, One of the things that I discovered, because I had not spent much time in that kind of a facility at all. Um, And and one of the things I realized is that this place can really be super chaotic. And as I got to know some of the kids there and they got to know me, I I would would sometimes come in and it seemed like they were all talking to me at the same time Mr. Mike, Mr. Mike, Mr. Mike. And they start telling me things. And it was like I couldn't make sense of it because they're all talking at the same time. It just, there was a lot of confusion and it was difficult. But then there were certain things that they did there in the facility that that would restore the order. Get control, you might say. Uh, and so uh, as I was thinking about uh, that first job, really, I, I, I was thinking about it a lot as I was looking at this text and preparing this morning's message because um, Paul is dealing with Corinthian worship services here, and apparently they were chaotic. They were random. They were disordered. They were formless. They were, we would maybe say they were messy. They were noisy. They were chaotic. Everyone was talking at once, it seemed, drowning each other out, talking over one another. There, there were sudden, spontaneous outbursts of, of tongue speaking, for example, without an interpreter. And then when they had the Lord's Supper, the rich and the powerful were given privileged position, and the poor were pushed to the margins, and the whole thing was a mess. It's one of the reasons we've been saying that the church at Corinth was a messed up church. So they thought that this spontaneity and their randomness and their unpredictability uh, was actually evidence of their spirituality. They were boasting in it and they took pride in it. And so Paul teaches us here that there are in fact some objective criteria, some fundamental principles that ought to shape how Christians worship when they gather on the Lord's day. 
Having said all that, I recognize this morning in a room this size, this many people, you all come from various backgrounds. Maybe some of you grew up in a very high church sort of setting that was very formal in its approach to worship, and, and, and there was a, a, a very strict liturgy, you might say, a liturgical church, and so you, you knew at which points in the service that you would maybe respond to those who were leading in worship and, and those sorts of things. And so we're really not talking so much about style as it relates to worship. There are some who kind of grew up in those sorts of settings, in a far more formal setting than us, that they they would see us as kind of just freewheeling it, you know? And while we don't print our order of worship every week, like maybe was done traditionally for many years, we do have an order of worship, okay? I'm not over here wondering, when when do I preach? When am I on? You know, like, and and I don't come up here going, well, I hadn't really thought of what I was going to say this morning, you know? It's like... Uh, and I've had people criticize the preaching uh, of God's word and the way that we do it, uh, working through a series of messages and everything. Why don't you just get up there and let the Holy Spirit lead you? Um, and just kind of open your mouth sort of thing. And I'm not discounting, certainly, the work of the Holy Spirit in this whole process. But I firmly believe that if, if God can lead me by his Holy Spirit in his word spontaneously uh, on a Sunday morning right up here at 11 o'clock, then I believe he can do that same thing in my study throughout the week. Okay, and so it's not as if, you know, uh, in that preparation that the Holy Spirit and God's in no way involved in that process. Uh, And so with all of that, I want us to first again tie all this together, chapter 14 here, by looking first at the edification principle. This seems to be a a huge uh, issue with the Apostle Paul. He continues to use this kind of language of edification and building up. And and all these things should be done in such a way that people are actually edified. Now, when we talk about edification, we're not talking about us coming to worship every week and leaving here and just kind of feeling better about ourselves. Okay, I don't want you to leave here feeling beat down every week. I don't want to be the brow-beating preacher that, you know, every week you come in and you just get a, you know, a tongue lashing and that sort of thing. Um, I want you to be encouraged by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. But there are times as we open the Word of God particularly and, and, and the, the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts and lives that we realize, man, there's some things in my life that need attention. My, my life's not lining up with this book. Okay? And so there are times when maybe the sermon's not so easy to hear for you. And some of you will express that to me in various ways. You'll say, Pastor, man, you were really stepping on my toes this morning. And I can identify with that. Because what you've got to realize is that in my study all week, God is working me over with this text. Okay, so don't ever think that when I come up here that I've got this all figured out. I'm fully and completely, you know, in the most perfect way, I'm living this out. <laughs> I, I'm striving just like you are uh, to be like Jesus Christ uh, and to live according to the principles of his word. Uh, But there's this edification principle that is so critical to our our time together. And so, again, we looked at this principle last week in the first half of the chapter. But you see it again in verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. He says, what then, brothers? You come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now let's pause there for a moment and acknowledge that there are traditions in the wider church that have latched on to verse number 26 and they have extrapolated from that one verse primarily an entire approach to Christian worship. In fact, there are some people who might say the way that you guys worship at First Baptist Van Alstine, that's not true New Testament worship. 
New Testament worship should be even more free form where anyone can speak and anyone can say anything and they all bring their contributions. That's real New Testament worship. And there are traditions, again, in the wider church where they seek to practice that. Some that you may not be as familiar with, especially in this part of the country. But if you were to go, for example, to a Quaker assembly, uh, they would typically seek to try and find ways to implement verse number 26. They would, in some cases, all sit in absolute silence until someone is moved to speak or to sing or to do something. And sometimes entire services will pass in absolute silence because no one is moved to speak or to sing or to do anything. And that may sound completely foreign to most of us. I get that. Okay? Or if you were to attend a Plymouth Brethren service, for example, they have no pastor typically, and people bring contributions as they feel led. Uh, and I don't think it, it's a huge stretch for most of us to think of what that would look like in a gathering like this. Okay, for one, we're all in, in various places in our Christian maturity. Okay, some of us have been believers for a very long time, and by the grace of God, we've grown in our relationship with the Lord. That's not to say that we've arrived or that we're as mature and complete in Christ as we should be or desire to be or, and all those things. Others of us, uh, far less mature. We are all somewhere in that process like with what we call sanctification, growing in Christ-likeness. So can you just imagine if we just said, anybody got anything to say this morning? <laughs> it could be a little problematic, right? Um, and so th this, this is not an issue that was uh, just an issue in Paul's day. It can be an issue in our day. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a few moments. But let me, let me just say this. It is unwise to take one verse and to make extrapolations uh, like that without paying attention to the rest of the data in, in, in Scripture about that particular issue. Hermeneutically, we call that the comparative mention principle or the full mention principle. So you take an issue like that, and so many times people tend to just take one verse of Scripture, pluck it out of context, and misapply it. Uh, and the reason that that happens is because you're not comparing Scripture with Scripture. Uh, one of my seminary professors very wisely said, God's Word will shed a lot of light on your commentaries. Okay, and I, I'm not opposed to using commentaries. I do. Okay, but, but the best place to go in your research and in your study is the Word of God itself. What does God's Word have to say on this subject in other places, in other contexts? And this is, happens to be, I believe, one of those areas. And so we know, for example, that the, the first Christians, they shaped their worship services based on the pattern that you will find many times in the synagogue. These were converted Jews in many cases. And so like in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, for example, uh, we are told that whenever Christians gathered for worship, there were a number of basic elements that were always observed. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, to the, to the prayers... So we know also from, uh, from New Testament evidence of fragments of hymns, for example, or perhaps of creedal statements, uh, that there are things that Paul is quoting familiar to the churches that they were using as they sang and as they prayed and as they confessed their faith together. And so there's this fundamental, familiar, uh, it would even look very familiar to us, a basic pattern uh, of synagogue-type worship where the ministry of the Word, the reading and the exposition of Scripture, corporate prayer, the singing of praise was normative. 
Okay, that was normative. But now, you throw in here in the context of Corinth, these charismatic gifts. Now, I want to say very clearly, and I hope I made it clear last week, the word charismatic is not a bad word. Okay, it's actually two words put together, and it essentially means grace gifts. Okay, but what we have to understand is where we are in church history here. Remember, we were studying this in its cultural context. And so overlaying uh, those normative practices is this secondary stratum of charismatic gifts. The New Testament was not yet complete at this time in church history. And God was still giving new revelation to the church through these prophetic giftings. And so there needed to be space in the liturgy, in the worship experience, where this new revelation to speak and to contribute. And what was happening at Corinth, it seems, is that the more regular pattern of, of synagogue-like worship, where the teaching of the Word of God is the center of everything, that was being submerged beneath, even pushed aside entirely, this more charismatic, free-form element of worship. And it was creating real problems. For people who are using spiritual gifts, using their gifts for public display and to make much of themselves in some cases. Clarity, truth, being obscured. People were struggling to grow in Christian knowledge and in faithful discipleship. And so Paul says, even in your service, there are lots of people with a spiritual gift and they're all waiting to speak. That doesn't mean that worship should descend into some sort of a free-for-all. No, he says, let all things be done for building up. And so there's this emphasis on teaching the truth. If you need to know what will build up, if you need a reminder, look at verse number 31. He says, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. That was his major point. That was the burden of his message even last week in the first half of the chapter. The only way to build up the church is to teach the truth of the word of God that all may learn and be encouraged. So what should worship be about? It's not about emotional self-expression. It's not about uh, personal entertainment. Paul says it's about edification, building one another up, mutual encouragement as we learn the truth of the gospel applied to our hearts in the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And so worship that God will bless, worship that will encourage, build you up as worship that is focused on the truth as we find it in Scripture. It's the first criteria that we need to use as we weigh worship. Has it been faithful? Has it been helpful? One of the things that I love most about FBCVA is our deep commitment in all of our many and varied ministries, whatever they are, to word-centeredness. It's critically important to us. Not just a catchy slogan when we say that we are biblically-based, that's not to say that we are perfectly biblically based, okay? But we, want, we strive to be biblically based, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven. And so we want to be a word-centered body of believers, a Bible church, you might say. You want to be encouraged? You want to grow? You want to be built up? Get into the word. It's the principle of edification. I heard uh, someone say recently that, uh, like, like many of us, maybe you've thought this, it's like, I, I just really would like to hear God speak audibly. And in response to that statement, one preacher said this, well, then read your Bible out loud. Yeah. <laughs> read your Bible out loud. All right? And so there is the edification principle. Then there's the order principle. This is really kind of where the rub comes in, uh, in in our text this morning. Verse number 40, again, sums it all up. 
Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. Now I realize that decently and in order can mean different things to different people. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I say of some people, I, you know, I've been in public settings like any of you, and I, I've left thinking to myself, that mom right there has got so much patience. It's like nothing bothers her. I mean, and I, I applaud you ladies particularly because it seems like God has just gifted many of you moms, especially with this special measure of patience and long-suffering and all of those sorts of things because what can seem really chaotic to me sometimes and just kind of disordered and all that, it's like, man, you, you, can, you can deal with that in ways that, that I struggle to. And so I realize when we're talking about order and all those sorts of things, it can there's, there's some nuance to that. But his discussion from verses 26 through 35 really explains what he means by decently and in order. It turns out that in Corinth, there were actually three groups of people who were speaking when they should have been silent. Paul ties all three of them together by using the same vocabulary as he addresses each one. And the first one are those with the gift of, of tongues. You see that first group there in verse number 27. And apparently they're making a terrible racket. All of them speaking in tongues at the same time. So can you just imagine? Uh, it's, and it's because of this confusion that Paul says in verse number 27, only two or at most three should ever be permitted to speak in the church. And get this, only if there's someone to interpret so that everyone may be edified. There's that edification principle again. If not, he says, verse number 28, they should sit down, be quiet, and pray. Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Okay, so there's this group, those with the gift of tongues. Then there are the prophets. And again, I hope we clarified over the last few weeks that there's some, some distinctions as it relates to prophecy. In our day, we typically think of, of someone with the gift of prophecy as being able to, to foretell the future. And some ministries are committed to, you know, looking at all things future and interpreting the book of Revelation for us and the book of Daniel and all these different things. And I'm not suggesting that that's a bad thing or, or wrong even, um, but many times in Scripture, that's not what we're speaking about is the foretelling of the future. We're really talking about the, the foretelling of the truth, okay? And so you got to remember that here. And he says the same principle applies to them. Verse number 29, two or three prophets should speak and let others weigh what is said. Now again, remember the context here. At this time, new revelation was still being given to the church. The New Testament was not yet complete. Okay, so they weren't gathering here in Corinth at this time and going, hey, let's turn to Galatians or, you know, so you got to understand. And so it was vital then that the churches understood and had a place for the prophetic ministry as God ordained it. But those who claimed to be prophets had to be carefully evaluated. This was not just willy-nilly, just anybody saying whatever. Okay, What they said had to be carefully judged in light of everything that God had revealed to that point. Otherwise, a so-called prophet might begin to exercise a terrible tyranny over the consciences of those in the church with all kinds of crazy ideas passed off as a word from the Lord. Now, unless you think that this was only an issue in that day, stop and consider some names that are probably familiar to you, like Jim Jones. Certainly, there were times in his ministry where he told his followers, I have a word from the Lord for you. And what did that lead to? 
number of people taking their own lives. Can you think about David Koresh in Waco? David Koresh claimed to his followers that he was a modern-day manifestation of Jesus Christ, a word from the Lord. Think about the danger in that if left unchecked. If, if we're not looking at this in light of Scripture, again, as I mentioned uh, last week and even the week before, if someone is expressing a spiritual gift in a way, and, and maybe they've come to you and said, man, I feel like God's really given me a word about you and for you and all those things, that will never, ever contradict Scripture. Okay, God's not a God of confusion. So it's not going to be some weird thing that it totally opposes what God's given us in his word. Uh, and so you think about the, the danger of some of these sorts of things. If, if I get up here one week and I just go, hey, by the way, I got this special word from the Lord, and now I've come to believe that I am Jesus Christ. I, hopefully, you, you would get up and run out of the room, okay? Like, we, we got to get Pastor Mike some help, okay? Now, certainly, I, I want you to see Christ manifested in me and his working in my life and all of those things, but, but all of these things should be given our careful attention, and that was certainly the case here um, in, in Corinth. And so um, you think about today. I mean, some charlatan with a big personality and the gift of gab begins to claim some special insight and can quickly lead people astray. But Paul here, he wants us to be like the Bereans. Remember the Bereans? Acts chapter 17, verse 11. When Paul went to Berea, he was preaching Christ, and the Bereans, we are told, they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In other words, they were checking Paul's teaching according to scripture. And I would plead with you to do the same thing. And there may be times that you, as you search scripture, you go, you know, I'm not sure I agree with Pastor Mike on this issue. You may not. And this may be one of those. And this, again, is one of those areas where we can have varying views, much like eschatology and some other things. They're not essential to the faith. We would say these are maybe second-tier issues or even third-tier issues about which we can disagree. And, and that's okay as long as we do it graciously. But you should refuse to be spoon-fed. Okay, if your only spiritual diet is you coming here every week and listening to a 30- or 40-minute message and that's it... You're missing something. You're malnourished, okay, because you need to be digging into the word yourself. And so that's what Paul would say here. He'd say, study these things. Paul wants them to, to practice a biblical discernment, to study all that we're hearing in the light of the word of God that we may not stray from the truth. But then look at verse number 30. Apparently, the prophets at Corinth felt that they had to compete for airtime, and they began speaking over the top of one another interrupting each other. And so instead of edification and encouragement, they were generating frustration and a lot of discord. And it was very confusing. No need for that, verse 30. Each can speak in turn and the others can be silent. And so verse number 31, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged decently and in order. Then he says something important. If you look at the end of verse number 31, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Notice that phrase carefully. There's a very common idea out there that the spiritual gifts in the New Testament were exclusively ecstatic utterances beyond the control of the speaker. Something sort of overtook you so that you couldn't help yourself and you would erupt 
in, in, in some kind of a speech over which you had no control. And that may have sounded good to the Corinthians, and it may be how some view spiritual gifts even today, but it's not at all the teaching of the Apostle Paul here. The spirits of prophets are subject. They are in submission to the prophets themselves. So you ought never to be out of control. Verse number 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So the word for confusion means something that is chaotic and disorderly. Confusion, disorder, chaos, never a product of fidelity to the scriptures. Peace is. And so as we come to know God's word better, as we come to understand it better, as we apply it to our lives more effectively, what we'll find is that we find the peace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and the peace of God even in the midst of a crazy, chaotic world like the one in which we are currently living. Hello? I just quickly want to remind you of something this morning. While the American church particularly seems in many ways to be divided, and I'm not talking about our church specifically, over masks and mandates and vaccines and all of the different things, all very important subjects. I'm not being dismissive of that. But I just want to remind you of something this morning. We have brothers and sisters in Afghanistan this morning who are in the crosshairs of Taliban. And so while you may be sitting here thinking that you're being persecuted in the good old U.S. of A., I'm not sure any of us really know what persecution is. So I think sometimes what we need is a little perspective, a little different viewpoint, looking at things from a little different angle. And that is certainly the case here as we, as we study God's word and as we come to know his word better. What does that bring us? It brings us peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ and the peace of God in a crazy, tumultuous world. And there's this third group. You knew we would get there, right, ladies? The women. Now, Paul uh, has also addressed this continuing problem with the way women were functioning in the worship services at Corinth. And if you were here a number of weeks ago, um, you know that we addressed one of those issues. Uh, We've seen kind of one manifestation of this problem back in chapter 11, where they, they saw that the women at Corinth were likely overreacting to the radical freedom and the dignity that they had discovered in Christ as they believed the gospel. So you got to understand, this was in a huge way countercultural, a very misogynistic, a very oppressive culture in that day, particularly toward women. Okay, and so they're discovering this newfound freedom. And what we found there in chapter 11 is that they, they were breaking down some of these distinctions and kind of this overreacting to this kind of this newfound freedom that were, they, they realized because of the gospel, they were no longer second class citizens as the culture around them had been telling them they were. They were now heirs together of the grace of life. And so they found this new unity, this new equality in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is, they had discovered what, what, what Scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. So what the gospel tells us is that you ladies, you're in no way, shape, or form some kind of second-class spiritual citizen. Okay, that's very clear from Scripture. Your worth, your dignity, your value, all of those things should be celebrated in the light of the gospel. And I hope that you understand that. Now again, this is one of those areas, one of those verses even, where some people 
have, I think in some cases, even maliciously taken a verse of Scripture and they have extrapolated from that without comparing it to other scriptures and have, have, have led people to believe that women should just sit silently in the church. Should be silenced at every turn. And they even take it further. If you do have any questions, you have anything to say, well, you wait till you get home and say it to your husband or ask your husband. What about those who don't have a husband? Okay, so that, that is not what Paul is teaching us here. That's not the idea. Now, you just just doing a cursory reading of this. It may kind of appear that way, and you got to understand again the context into which Paul is writing, what he is saying here. So he continues to address a similar related problem among the ladies here in chapter fourteen. These women, it seems, really understood the radical freedom and dignity that is theirs in union with Christ. But some of them seem to have misunderstood the implications of all of that, and they seem to think that, that it meant the end of all distinctions of gender whatsoever. Remember in chapter 11, we dealt with the head covering issue and that kind of thing? Okay, so here in chapter 14, they were going so far as to apparently interrupt the services, the worship gathering. They were inserting themselves into the ministry that was taking place. They were, uh, some historians, some commentators tell us they were interrogating the prophets who were speaking and undermining the leaders of the congregation and generally disrupting in a way that Paul describes in verse number 35 as shameful. And so they too, verse 34, are to remain silent. Instead of speaking out in the services, he says they are to be in submission. Okay, so don't, don't, ladies, don't read this text and go, man, the Bible is just so oppressive to women. It's just so, in fact, it's the same word in Greek that Paul used to describe the spirits of the prophets that are subject to the prophets. In other words, the women, just like the prophets, just like the tongue speakers, are to exercise godly self-control. There was a wrong time and a right time for the women to speak, just as there was a wrong time and a right time for the prophets and the tongue speakers to speak. So he says, verse number 35... If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. The problem wasn't that they prayed or even prophesied. It was that they were not wearing head coverings, remember, as we discovered in verse number, uh, chapter number 11, which was a cultural distinction, making it clear that they were distinct and different from the men. Okay, And I don't want to get off into the weeds of all of that. Uh, once again, we kind of covered that a few weeks ago. Uh, but just suffice it to say, God's word is not teaching here that you ladies must, uh, in every gathering, every time, in all circumstances, just keep your mouth shut. That's not what God's word is teaching here. I must look finally at the authority principle. I thought more ladies would say amen right there. I really did. I was like, um, look quickly at verses 36 through 39 as we wrap up. The Corinthians thought that they were special. They thought that they had found a way to worship that was better than anyone else more spiritual, more powerful. And Paul is correcting them. Verse 36. And, and I love the fact that occasionally the Apostle Paul uses a bit of sarcasm uh, because I jokingly like to say or maybe sarcastically like to say it's my spiritual gift as well. Um, the Apostle Paul says, was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? You think you're so superior? You think you're so unique and special and in this privileged status that you have insight that no one else has? It's a problem, actually, and we continue to wrestle with it today, even. Uh, each new generation struggles with this, what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. 
So you, you can talk to some who are, are the older generations, I'll just put it that way, I know that's kind of a general sweep, who are sometimes reluctant to accept and embrace anything that is new because it can't possibly be as good as the old. I understand that. I'm one of those who's kind of caught smack dab in the middle of all this, right? Especially within the church. And then you got the younger folks, the younger generations. I guess I can't claim to be part of that group anymore. Um, but who, who would say, oh, man, we can't, nothing old. It, there's a better way. There's a new way to do everything. I've often said it this way in the context of the church. It is not right for older generations to expect younger generations to live in the past. You understand what I'm saying? At the same time, it's not right for younger generations to expect older generations to forget the past. And so that's how God melds together a multi-generational church like ours. On any given Sunday here, we will have individuals, precious human beings made in the image of God from weeks old to really, really old. Okay, I'll just say it that way. It's an amazing thing that God does. And in all of that, what do we do? We've got to make certain that we are all together submitting to the authority of the word of God. It's not about thus saith Mike. It's not about this is what... It's not about me being some sort of a dictator. That's why scripture refers to me and to the office that I, that I hold to, 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 to that of an under shepherd. I serve under the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in all of these things, as confusing as they may seem to us, as weird as it may seem to us, all of those things, Paul issues this clear warning. Be very careful be very careful. Here's what's at stake. Is that you are all, in all of these things, practicing the edification principle. That you are following the order principle. And that you are ultimately following the authority principle. The ultimate authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very word of God. And so while some of this may be a bit confusing to us and you may not be real sure exactly what you believe and, and maybe your background comes into those things and makes it even more difficult for you to fully understand and grasp some of these truths, I, I understand. And it's okay to wrestle with those things. I mentioned last week the, the view that I have held to, but I also said, and I hope I, I said it in humility, that I'm not nearly as dogmatic as I once was on some of these matters. And so I hope that we can see it for what it is and what Paul is doing here. He's primarily instructing a church at Corinth. Okay, Certainly by application, we can learn from these things. And we can make application, but in faithfulness to the word of God. So would you, for just a moment, bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I hope that God has allowed you to understand some of these things more clearly. I think it's crystal clear here that the Apostle Paul wants us all to be people of the Word, people under the rule of Christ, to cultivate that Berean instinct that runs to the Scriptures to see if these things are so. We refuse to stray from the word of God. That's how we'll be edified. That's how we'll be built up. 
how all that we may do, both when we're together in public assembly as we are this morning to worship the Lord and when we seek to serve him day by day in our own lives and in our families, that's how it will all be, to the glory of his name. We submit to his ultimate authority. And so we need these principles today as much as ever the Corinthians did, don't we? Principle of edification. We're to seek to encourage one another by learning and by being in the scriptures. We're to seek appropriate order in our relationships with one another in the way that we serve and give place to one another. In the principle of authority, embracing the truth and submitting to the truth. Learning to say together, it's not my will, not our will, but Lord, your will be done. And as we do that, he'll be glorified in our midst. And so, Lord, our prayer this morning is that you make it so. While we recognize that some of these matters can be a source of division, even a source of confusion, where we always want to cling to your word, to approach it in a spirit of humility, a willingness to learn, a willingness to look at your word even from a different perspective, a different viewpoint all the while striving to be faithful to you and to your word. Or for that one here this morning who may be searching, seeking, longing to find peace in their life, help them to know and understand the power of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in our place. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Validating the power of the gospel. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, today we thank you. We praise you that you are holy. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.